We will now have our sermon by our pastor, Steve Andrews, entitled, For Our Admonition. Lots of time. <laughs> Should take a little time there. Well, uh, I will uh, try to keep it within limits here today. Um, how many like to to study history? Anybody out here like in, in, enjoy history? Oh, good. There's quite a few. I wish I'd have been more astute at, at studying history when I was younger. Uh, it wasn't one of them my favorite classes, nor was civics. Both of those probably I should have studied a little harder. <clears throat> but I did, I did grow up in my formative years in some of the most interesting times in history. Uh, the Vietnam War and, and all of the, well, and I can even remember my, uh, my half-brother coming back from Korea, uh, Korean War, uh, the different things that have happened and of course, the assassination of John F. Kennedy. A um, lot of different things um, that have happened in in society and history being made. Uh, the animals, the birds, the insects don't make history. We do. We are the ones that do things on this earth that that, uh, that make history. And it's very interesting that in this society today. There seems to be some people that want to wipe out certain parts of our, especially our American history. So people that come along won't know what's happened. Hey, yes, things have happened in our, in our history that were bad, that weren't good. Anybody that has ever gone to a um, north and south the, uh, battleground, during the Civil War, and stood there. I mean, literally, we went to Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you can stand in one of the, I can't remember which battleground it was, but they preserved the, the two cannons, the one on the south and one on the north. And literally, they, they, they fought each other hand-to-hand -hand with those cannonballs going and taking legs off and arms off and all, all kinds of things. And it's important for us not to lose that. Not to lose that. To understand who fought on what side and why those things were fought for and what was important about it and what it brought about. And so history is extremely important that we learn that we, that we don't repeat the mistakes that have been made in the past because if we forget the history, we're going to repeat those mistakes and we're going to do it again. And we, we're in a war right now that Russia left because they couldn't win in, in Afghanistan. I think everybody knows that, that Afghanistan is a losing op, uh, proposition. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure about what the Middle East is not somewhat of a losing proposition, but um, at least we have taken the stand to uh, squelch some of that in that area. But definitely Afghanistan is not a very good place for our troops to be. It's very difficult to, to um, fight there. And, but 
that we're doing it, and, and hopefully there, that there'll be an exit out of that, uh, that area. But we learn. If we forget, if we, if we wipe history out, we forget what happened. We forget. And there's been some good presidents and bad presidents. I mean, look at uh, um, Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson hated the central bank. And that's a good thing. But he also hated the Native Americans. And he, and he, he chased them out of that, their homeland, their home areas. And, of course, they came to Oklahoma, and, and they, they did very, very well in the Oklahoma uh, area. So, anyway, when we talk about history, we also have to talk about the history of, that's in the Bible. One, and I've heard this, and I have a count of the pages and known exactly, but uh, somebody said there's a third that's history, a third that's Christian living, and you know, then a third that's prophecy. So, a, a third is history in the Bible. And by the way, in the Bible, God does not sugarcoat anything that's written. He wants it, he wants you to know. Well, look at David, a man after God's own heart, <laughs> an adulterer and a murderer, and, and God wanted us to know. He wrote it down for us to understand that and understand why he had a heart of repentance. He, he suffered a lot. His family suffered a lot because of, of his sins. And so consequently, we, we need to understand those things. And so history, both in the Bible and history that we, we know. Um, let me get my book open here so I know which direction I'm going here. <laughs> oh, before we go into some of the parts here, let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the first, my first scripture here. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. I don't have a lot of scriptures today, but I do have some reading that I'd like. Uh, and I'd like to air some of my own... Uh, feelings about what's going on in society today, and I've got some things that I I brought with me. Excuse me. And I don't know about you, but it's been bothering me a lot about the things that are happening. Not necessarily the political things. Political things happen all the time. I'm talking about things that are going to affect us. I mean, literally going to affect us in the future and affect our children and our children's children. So. Let's let's look at some. Let's look at First Corinthians, the the tenth uh, chapter, and see what Paul. It's interesting. This writing here is very interesting things that he's written. Moreover, brethren, I would not have you uh, should be ignorant how that all the fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized to Moses in the cloud and the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat and all did drink the same spiritual drink, and they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So what does Paul do? He goes back and reviews history. Why? Why review history? What's important about history? It tells us what happened and why we shouldn't be going and doing these things. And so when he... when when he reviews the history, it, it brings to our mind, okay, things in the past are things that happened that we should pay attention to. He says, 
But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they lusted. And so here, here Paul says, there were some evil things that they lusted after. I mean, it's interesting. They were brought out of Egypt, but Egypt kept following them in their own lives. They wanted to go back. They wanted to go back to be slaves. <laughs> oh, we, we had such wonderful foods and this and that, and we, we could eat and everything. But they were in bondage. It's the same thing with us, isn't it? It's, we come out of the world, but sometimes the world stays with us, and we don't completely get rid of it. So this is why Paul is talking about things in the past. Neither be you idolaters as some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. So if you go back in your history and you look at all these events, you will find what Paul is talking about. So if you haven't reviewed that, which I think most of us in this room that are adults and have been in this way for a length of time, know what's, what he's writing about, know what he's talking about, and I think we understand that. But those that may be listening in or may pick this up later, please take the time to go back and look at what Paul's talking about, what happened in the wilderness, why... God was not pleased with them. And why these things happened. So, now, all... And so here we, he come, here we come to, to, to what Paul is wanting us to understand. These things happened to them for, for examples. And they are written for our admonition. It's for our instruction. Admonition means instruction. It means uh, being able to understand the things. Upon whom... <clears throat> The ends of the world are come. Now, you might just skip over that. You might just, oh, well, okay, we'll just, just keep right on reading. But think about what it just said. History and the things that are written in God's Word are for those especially that live in the end time. Because that's what it says. Ends of the age are come. Because that word world can also mean end of the age, end of the time of the end, the time in which the end is. And we'll come back later and we'll talk a little bit about that. Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And there, are, there has no temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but will with tempt that temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my, beloved, uh, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a little bit, and I'm, we're going to look at this a little differently than we've looked at it before, because I think, I think it has a very prophetic look into the future. Um, History is extremely interesting, but it, in the Bible there is an awful lot of information, and I don't want to take all the time reading all of the scriptures. So I brought a, a, a very interesting book. 
It's called Who's Who in the Bible. And, and the ones that I want to go through today are Ahab, Jezebel, and their sons, Joram and Ahaziah. I'm not going to read a lot about them. And an individual that came along later by the name of Jehu, or Yehu, <laughs> if you, you know, Hebrew, it would have probably been Yehu. At the time that this happened, two very powerful prophets were in the northern tribes trying to get them to change. Elijah and Elisha. And if you read about Elijah and Elisha, you find that they... God gave them some powerful things. They could call down lightning. They could call this. They could destroy uh, armies and everything. They were powerful individuals. And yet, <laughs> look what happened to the northern tribes. Uh, in fact, look what happened to the southern tribes. The northern ten tribes God got so disgusted with them that he, he had them taken over by Assyria and they went, you know, out. And we may be descendants of those people. Ahab, as I said, and I'm not going to read all of this because there's an awful lot of material here, but I, I wanted to, to lay the groundwork and, and, and let you see some of the things, uh, the historical perspective here, uh, without uh, going through, uh, although these... They mentioned all the scriptures in here, so uh, you can look in First uh, Kings uh, 16 and First um, Kings uh, 21, Second Kings 8, Second um, Kings uh, 11. There's, these are all uh, different ones that, that you can look through and, and see some of these things that, are, that I will be talking about today. <clears throat> the eighth king of the northern kingdom of Israel, who reigned above about 874 to 853 BC. So you, you see about what time this, uh, this time frame starts. His father, Omri, founded a dynasty that lasted 40 years through the reigns of Ahab and his two sons, Ahaziah and Jehoram. Uh, Omri's dynasty and an impact of beyond biblical history being mentioned on the famous uh, Moabite stone and in several Assyrian inscriptions. So they existed. Here's something you can take and say, hey, listen, the Bible says these people uh, existed, and yep, sure enough, the Moabite stone says, yep, they did exist. And so we have um, a written text in the Bible and some archaeological, historical perspective that these people did truly exist and that they... Uh, these things did happen. Um, I'm going to skip down here. Omer, uh, uh, Omri was his father and, and all this. But um, when Ahab uh, succeeded his father, he pursued his alliance by marrying the physician, uh, uh, Phoenician king's daughter, Jezebel. And everybody knows about, uh, they think they know about Jezebel. Ahab's marriage to Jezebel, an immoral and fanatic fanatical pagan strongly affected Israel and had consequences even in the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, Athaliah, their daughter, married Jehoram, 
of Judah, and the results of that marriage were disastrous. You can look at that up in 2 Kings 8 and uh, 2 Kings 11. Uh, under Jezebel's influence, Ahab gave up uh, the worship of God. Now remember, in that northern kingdom, they had the uh, golden calves, the two golden calves. That n never stopped. That was always there. And even though God sent, uh, used to be uh, destroyed, those still stayed. Under Jezebel's influence, Ahab gave up the worship of God, took up Baal worship. Ahab's new religion was a fertility cult that featured sexual unions between priests and temple virgins, practiced explicitly contra uh, contrary to the law of God. Even in marrying Jezebel, Ahab had violated the biblical prohibition of uh, marriage to pagans. The biblical narrative mentions that Ahab built many cities, uh, and it goes on about Ahab. Let's see. And, I, and of course he was killed. But let's let's look at Jezebel real quick. You can you can go back and you can and read about Ahab in a more detail. I just want to give you kind of a broad overview of who these were, what was going on. Because Jezebel essentially was in the background motivating things. And she stayed in the dynasty for quite a while. And her influence was, was quite strong. Daughter Ethbel, king of Sidon. She became the wife of Ahab, king, um, king of the northern kingdom of Israel. The marriage was probably a continuation of the friendly relations between Israel and Phoenicia, begun by Omri, and confirmed a political alliance between the two nations. Jezebel exerted a strong influence over the life of Israel as she in insisted on establishing the worship of Baal and demanded the uh, absolute rights of the uh, monarchy. So strong was her pagan influence that Scripture attributes the apostasy of Ahab directly to Jezebel. Now we're going to come into some modern things and look at some stuff. Remember Jezebel, because she was a, a very powerful in that northern kingdom. Jezebel's efforts to establish Baal worship in Israel began with Ahab's acceptance of Baal following the marriage. Ahab followed Jezebel's practices by building a house of worship, an altar for Baal in Samaria, and by setting up a pole for worship of Astaroth, and a campaign was then conducted to exterminate the prophets of God, which Jezebel organized and supported large groups of Baal prophets, housing and feeding large numbers of them in the royal palace. To meet this challenge, God sent Elijah to prophesy a drought that lasted three years. Elijah's confrontation with Ezekiel, I mean with Jezebel and Ahab, culminated at Mount Carmel, or Carmel, when Elijah demanded that the prophets of Baal meet him. As, um, as, as they and the people of Israel gathered, Elijah issued the challenge to Israel to follow the true God, to, uh, to demonstrate who was the true God, Baal's prophets. And Elijah each took a bowl to sacrifice. The prophets of Baal then prepared the sacrifice and called upon their God to send fire to consume it. But, <clears throat> but no... Um, but no answer came. Elijah prepared his sacrifice and had, to drench it in, had it drenched in water 
And after his prayer, God sent fire that consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the altar, the dust, the water, and the trench. Everything. I mean, it was all consumed. The powerful, powerful um, witness there. Then Elijah directed the people to take the prophets of Baal uh, to the brook Kisran and slaughter all of them. When Jezebel heard of this, she flew into a rage and threatened Elijah with the same faith in which uh, the fear of Elijah fled for his life into the wilderness. And we know that one because he, he went into the cave and, and there was all kinds of strong presence, but the small voice, God came to him and, and that was a change. What God had... Um, Elijah went out and threw his mantle on Elisha. So Elisha became the next prophet. God had Elisha uh, commission one of the uh, one of the younger priests to run to a warrior. The warrior's name was Jehu, and Jehu. Um, the guy didn't really want to do this because uh, this warrior, uh, they told him to go in, put the oil on his head, tell him he's the king, and then run out the door. <laughs> I don't know whether that was uh, uh, to, to preserve this guy's life or what, but maybe this Jehu was a real, um, I don't know what to call him. But he did do the commission that God had sent him to do. The important army officer, this is Jehu, and this is under his, uh, uh, during the reign of Ahab and Joram, who in, the reaction, who in reaction to the economic and religious abuses of the house of Omri, was anointed as the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. In the following revolution, he exterminated the royal house of Israel, the king of Judah, and the royal party from the south. He executed the worshipers of Baal in order to revive true worship in Israel. As king, he ruled in Samaria 28 years, 841 to 814, and began a dynasty that lasted some 100 years. In the time of Jehu, the prophets were engaged in religious equivalent of war with the adherents of the Tyrian Baal. Elijah met and defeated the Canaanite priests of Mount Carmel. Later, he, then, and Elisha were commissioned to anoint Jehu as king. The prophets waited until the time was right, at which time Elisha sent a son of the prophets to Ramath Gilead to designate Jehu as a monarch. Um, now, one of the... Um, I, want to, I don't want to read all of this. Um, Jehu's revolution seriously weakened the worship of Baal, although not all of the adherents were eliminated. Baalism no longer remained the official religion of the state. Rather, Baalism united the Yahwehism to form a sinister, uh, syncretic religion and was denounced by Hosea. In other words, they still kept the, the, the golden cast. Politically, the revolt of Jehu was disastrous. The triple alliance between Tyre, Israel, and Judah was shattered by the atrocities Israel now 
uh, isolated, um, became easy prey for Syria. Uh, Assyria. And then uh, in the end, God called, uh, said to, to, that, um, that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, he did what he was supposed to do, which was to, to destroy the, uh, the priests of Baal and all of the adherents of Baal. But in the end, he was also, um, he would have had the opportunity to make Israel change and, 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 and come over all of that, but he didn't. And by the way, he was also instrumental in the death of, of um, Jezebel. It was prophesied that Jezebel, Jezebel said that uh, to Elijah that uh, the dogs would be eating him. Well, God turned it around and he said, well, this is what's going to happen to her. And so Jehu had her servants throw her out of the building. And by the time he came back around to find her, there was nothing left. The dogs had eaten everything but a skull and a hand. So Jezebel re, uh, received her just due in the days that she was there. Um, but she was an extreme influence in the northern tribes of Israel. We have in our modern society, uh, unfortunately, especially in the past, we've had um, a Jezebel who started some, something that we are very familiar with, and there's a lot of argument going on today, called Planned Parenthood. And the name of the lady is um, Margaret Sanger. Now, some of you are very familiar with her, some of you are not. But she was instrumental in um, not necessarily the abortion part, but she was instrumental in what, what is called eugenics. Um, the, the, uh, the doing away with the undesirables. Uh, that's how you look at eugenics. Uh, if you have physical problems, you're born with some kind of malady. If you're not of the right color, if you're not of the right persuasion, she was willing to accept your death to further the society that would be good. And by the way, Margaret Sanger was also very much honored by Hitler and thought her ideas were pretty good and, and probably became the, the groundwork for his destruction of the Jews during World War II. Let's see if I can find a spot here. This was an interview by Clarence Thomas. And, of course, it had a lot of arguments about this. It is true, as Thomas said, that Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, supported eugenics, and that she had some pretty offensive views. Anyone who doubts that should read uh, what Sanger had to say about slum mothers and in her book, The Pivot of Civilization. Thomas is correct that the Supreme Court played a lamentable role in the eugenics era with its 1927 ruling 
in Buck versus Bell, the subject of my book, the court upheld a, vin a Virginia law that authorized the state to sterilize people it considered unworthy of reproducing. And it allowed the state to sterilize Carrie Buck, the poor young woman in the center of the case. None of this was about abortion, however. The most prominent American eugenists did not support abortion. But think about eugenics. It, it literally wants to start in the womb to get rid of any undesirables. One more, a few more things here. Sanger thought that that way she called for the elimination of the unfit, including the poor immigrants and minorities. Angela Frank's PhD, who has done extensive research on Sanger, said Planned Parenthood founder believed strongly, strongly in eugenics principles. Throughout her life, Sanger advocated for birth control and sterilization in ways that devalued certain groups of human beings. Uh, Franks explained, like many eugenics of her times, Sanger basically reduced people to their genetic makeup, lumping people into good genes and bad genes groups. Franks continued, it's something that the abortion industry still does today, though in less obviously obvious ways, when it fights laws that protect unborn babies with disabilities from abortion. In one particular dehumanizing, dehumanizing piece, Sanger wrote in 1925, their lives are hopeless repetitions. All that they have said has been said before. All that they have done has been done better before. Such human weeds clog up the path, drain up the energies and the resources of little earth. We must clear the way for a better world. We must cultivate our garden. Direct quote from Margaret Sanger. Other evidence in cre uh, indicates that Sanger was heavily involved with the eugenics movement throughout her lifetime and continued to publicly espouse such ideas even after the eugenics fell out of favor, largely because of the Holocaust. In 1957 interview, uh, shocking quotes from Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger, Sanger told journalist Mike Wallace, I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world that have disease from their parents that have no chance in the world to be human, being pra uh, practically delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things, just marked when they're born. That, to me, is the greatest sin that people can commit. And this is written uh, by uh, lifenews.com, and it was an article called Justice Clarence Thomas was right. Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Center was a racist. And by the way, she also was uh, asked to speak before female Ku Klux Klan, which is interesting. I didn't know there was a female Ku Klux Klan. Lest you think that you have to have an abortion to have, you know, that you, you, you might not have the baby. Yeah, there was, maybe some of you read this recently. It's a very good one. Very interesting. A hospital in San Diego, California has announced the birth of what is to believe to be the smallest baby to not only survive but thrive. Sabi. This is this is such a wonderful article. I just I was so excited to read this. The name given to her by the uh, neonatal nurses who cared for her for five months before her release was delivered to the, to save her mother's life and weighed eight 
8.6 ounces. 8.6 ounces. We have a, a Joseph, I think, was so, quite a bit more than that. This baby was so tiny. The tiny infant's size was compared to, uh, to that of a large apple or a hamster, and her survival described as miraculous. She's a miracle, that's for sure, said Kim Norby, a nurse fe uh, featured the video of the hospital posted on YouTube announcing Sabi's journey. The journey started, from, started when doctors delivered Sabi in December and told her father that he had about an hour to be with his daughter before she passed away. But that hour turned into two hours, which turned into a day, which turned into a week. And the unidentified mother said in the video released by Sharp Mary Birch Hospital for women and newborns and republished by the Washington Post and Associated Press, the mother said she was taken to the hospital after not feeling well and was told that she had preeclampsia, a serious condition that causes skyrocketing blood pressure and the baby needed to be delivered. I kept telling them uh, she's not going to survive. She's only 23 weeks, the mother said in the video. But Sabi did survive, spent five months in the hospital where the sign uh, by her crib said, tiny but mighty. The, the nurses put a, a miniature graduation cap on her head when she was released. Babies born before 28 weeks are designated as micropremi and can face developmental challenges as well as hearing and vision disabilities. So far, Sabi has beaten the odds. You know, you talk that they're out there just constantly. They, it's almost like mad dogs. A couple of states want to restrict abortions. And they're all in arms, wanting to kill babies. I, I still have not quite figured this out. Why do they want to kill babies? They're, they're such a beautiful thing. And when, I, I was thinking when I was over here, when does the spirit of man enter a child? Can anybody in this room tell me that? When does the spirit of man enter a child? You know, some of these that God called already knew them in the womb, probably when they were still just in that first stage, and knew them all the way through the gestation and birth process, and had called them. From the womb. So, anyway, that's my soapbox on abortion, which I think is a very abominable evil in this society. One of the things that has bothered me a lot is when something like, remember, history, history. What happened to the northern tribes? They refused to get rid of the Catholic worship from Egypt. I, I mean, that's where it came from. They just took it all up there and built two calves and sell them, okay, this is your gods. They refused to get rid of that all the way through. God finally got tired of them and sent them out. What happens when we legislate in our own society things like abortion? It's hard to get rid of it. It's almost impossible it becomes a part of the society, doesn't it? It's, it's ingrained in the society. And you see, if 
there's some out there that just won't give it up at all. Even if you show them that God created and that every birth is important. Well, the other one that Dr. Dobson wanted to have everybody pray about was gay marriage. Now that it's Anyone that's out there and that has a, a business that they want uh, to share photography, cake making, whatever, they can, they can be fined. They can have all kinds of problems because of this law and the activists that are so strong in this particular area. You know, while all the stuff's going on uh, with the president and all that stuff and things, the Congress, even without, uh, I don't know if any of you follow it or not, but there's thing, this thing called the Equality Act, which is not equal for you women at all. It's going to put all women in jeopardy if this ever passes. I don't think it will with the Republicans, but right now I think this Equality Act 234 House Democrats, two Republicans, co-sponsor bill forcing schools to let male athletes compete on female sports teams. And it's already happening in some of the states. And it's already uh, progressing in, in, in that particular area. And some of these guys are, are oh, I'm a girl. I, I want to compete with the girls. And they're, and they're winning. And they're even breaking some of the records. And so women's sports are now a woman that's a woman. By the way, God put it into the DNA, into the chromosomes, into all of us. When you're born one, you are not going to be able to change it, no matter what you do. Scientists said it just isn't going to happen. There is no fluidity. You're either a male or you're a female. I'm sorry. And science proves it. And of course, war is the fourth thing. And we all know wars have happened. Let's turn to Psalms, the 139th chapter. True relationship with God. I, I, I think this was beautiful. I think uh, Jesse read part of this, and I'm going to read all of it today. I think it's a, a very profoundly beautiful Scripture. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. I, when, when I read these and I see from David's re, uh, when he writes, so personal. Well, these are for us today because David's dead and buried and waiting for the resurrection just like all of mankind right now. And there's only been one that's been resurrected, and that's Christ Jesus, our Savior. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Each one who is called, and that's a lot of us in this room, God knows us. You know my down city, my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. You compass my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Uh, sins too, by the way. <laughs> for for all of us to understand, he, he knows what we're doing. 
For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have beset me before, uh, behind and before, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness as the light are both alike to you. For you have possessed my reins. You have covered me in my mother's womb. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Every child, even if they have problems and they are so important because they are a potential son of God, they have that potential for eternal life in the kingdom of God. Every one. And I think when David was writing this, this powerful psalm here is, is so much for today. We need to, to take this to heart and understand that God loves us so much and loves everyone. And he probably grieves at all the 60 million babies that have been killed since Roe versus Wade was put into effect. You know, I'm just, it's approximate. I don't know exact numbers. But it's, it's getting up there. It's like 330,000 a year. That's a lot of lives. A lot of lives. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect in your book, uh, and in your book all my members were written, which in co uh, continuance were, were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I, will, I am still with you. Surely you will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate you, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, Jesus is talking about persecution. 
about trials, about things that are going to come upon the world. The groundwork has been laid. Satan has been busy. I'm telling you, Satan has been extremely busy. And out of, the, out of many different places, Satan has laid the groundwork for this society. In Matthew, the 24th chapter, beginning in verse 4, he's, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And, and that's a very good possibility in this day and age because of artificial intelligence, uh, media, everything that's going on. Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you be not troubled. For all those things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in different places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. And shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And there shall be many, and there shall be many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And Jesus gives us an out, doesn't he? He gives us, even though there's going to be a lot of trouble, he says, they that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. We have the kingdom of, of God ahead of us. And that's what we, we should grasp a hold of, even if the times get difficult to live by. In 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, back again. Let's, let's look at this real quickly. Uh, um, I said I was going to look at this in, in a little deeper thing. Let's go back there. And look at it in the light of the world that we live in today. Now these things happen to them for examples. And they are written for our admonition. Beginning verse 11. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. So Paul says he's grounding this at the end. This is an end time. These things that he's writing. The few words that he's writing. Wherefore let him that thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. How could, how could we fall? Well, we could, we could start believing some of the things that are out there that are against God, that are against his word, against his way. Uh, we could just give up and, and go back into the world. Those are some of the things. But let's say that we are very strong in this way and we're very... Uh, just like the, the, the baker that stood up to the, the, the two that came in and wanted a, a cake for their gay wedding, and he says no, and he went through all those trials and tribulations because he believed that God told him he didn't, that he shouldn't do that, that the Bible says he shouldn't do that. We come to verse 13 and it says, There is no trial, test, taken you, but such is common to man. So, during this period of time, when these things, these trials, these tribulations come upon us, we go back to God's word and we are encouraged that even if we have to endure the tests and trials of the world, 
We stand up against the worldly things. We stand against the worldly things. And we, we know that we might receive persecution because it's going to come, and we'll, we'll read what Jesus has to say about that. He says, But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you were able, but will with that test or temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So, things that might come upon us that we'll have to stand up, as, as Curtis said last week. We might have to be bold in the, in, the, in the word. We might have to be bold in the way. Well, if we're bold in the way, we might also face a lot of persecution. And so God says, and Paul says that God is going to, to provide us a way to, out of that so that we could bear it, so that we could stand boldly and we could not cave in to the world. Wherefore, my dear, dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. What in the world? All of the things that I just... The world is now beginning to make idols out of things that are, are natural processes. <laughs> They're making idols out of these things. It's becoming an idolatry. They get mad when it doesn't fit their way and they're becoming idolatrous in those things. And so, wherefore, my beloved, dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. What put Israel in the problem? Idols. Idolatry. God speaks against it so many times. Jesus says, we are to preach the good news of the kingdom in all the world. The, the news sometimes means we have to um, reveal what has uh, transpired before uh, our very eyes. Um, and, and it might very well lead to uh, trials and temptations just like we read. And Jesus said in Matthew the 5th chapter, you're very familiar with this, these verses, beginning in verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Re rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted the prophets were that were before you. And so, brethren, we face a lot of challenges. And... And I want to say that we need to be aware of what's going on out there. And we need to protect our, our ladies, our children, in any way that we, we see, and, and be very careful about what's happening in the society that we're living in. Um, I, anyway, may God bless you all. and Stay close to God in these things.